And so my message this morning is entitled, The Way God Makes Himself Known in the Church. The Way God Makes Himself Known in the Church. In Psalm 77 and verse 13, it says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. God's ways are for the benefit of his church. And all that he does is intended for the good of his church. Now, without doubt, we're living in days when we need to know the mind and the ways of God. And the place especially where we gather together to meet him should be a place where we get to know him. Moses, we're told, he made known his ways. God made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. And on that occasion when Moses prayed, show me now thy way, God said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. In other words, pray, prayer to know God's ways led to a demonstration of God's acts. Can I say that again? Prayer to know God's ways led to the demonstration of his acts. Moses prayed to know God's ways, and God responded, promising his presence. That was an act of God. And we'll only witness the acts of God when we pray for understanding of the way that he does things, and then having received that understanding, to do them. And his methods for doing things have been made known to his church. That's very clear in the scriptures. And we need to get back to those ways in the church. What are those ways? Well, let's go to the Bible. Number one, prayer. Jesus said, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Now notice this is addressed to people of all nations. It shall be called a house of prayer to all nations, whatever race, whatever If people are born again of the Spirit of God, whatever the color of their skin, whatever their language, if they're in Christ and they're in the church, uh, then they are to know the house of God as being a place of prayer. And Jesus said his house should be known as the house of prayer. In other words, predominantly, above everything else, it is to be known as a house of prayer. Listen to me. Not preaching, not teaching, not evangelism, not worship. Though all those things are important, and all those things must be. But the one thing Jesus said his church was to be known for is the least thing most churches are known for. Let's be honest. And we wonder why the church isn't growing as it should. I pose the question, could it be that we've abandoned the ways of God in this regard? Because if that is so, it's time for us to be honest. Jesus went into the temple... And cleansed it. And he did this twice. First time at the beginning of his ministry after his miracle at the turning the water into wine in Cana of Galilee. The second time was at the end of his ministry after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the way that he did this and that he did it twice more than suggests to us that prayer within his house was more important, was so important to Jesus. How really important is it to us? Is it important enough for us, can we say, to have a cleansing and get back to its biblical purpose? God is very jealous about the reputation of his house, that it be a house of prayer. The church was born in a prayer meeting in an upper room. 
Jesus said, you have made my house a house of merchandise. And that word merchandise, as we look in Webster's Dictionary, says to advertise, to promote, and to organize the sale of a particular product. And the things that we have promoted in the church to try to get growth are too numerous to mention. How many churches could it be said of them? Let's be honest. This is a house of prayer. I was saved when I was 10. I'm 78 now. I know I only look like I'm 21. But I'm coming up 78. But I've been saved for 68 years. And listen, my observation over the years has been that attendance at church prayer meetings have declined. There came a time when people said, right, we'll now combine Bible study and prayer meeting together. Uh, and that's the way to go forward. Only to find out that it couldn't give justice to either the Bible study or the prayer meeting because there wasn't sufficient time. So we ended up with no midweek Bible study, no prayer meeting. And in so many churches, there is no prayer. There's a need, friends, for cleansing from things that we've substituted in the place of prayer. There's a prophecy in Malachi chapter 3 and it says this, Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall pray. I want you to see Jesus in your mind's eye going through the temple with a scourge as you're listening to this prophetic utterance. I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like full of soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, that's the priesthood. And purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And we see Jesus fulfilling that prophecy in the temple. Refining, purifying, purging, cleansing. Now listen, if Jesus cleansed the temple twice, that tells me it wasn't where it should have been. According to Jesus, especially in the realm of prayer, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Why did Jesus display it? What for? Because the things that people substituted for prayer and considered were okay, were not okay. And Jesus got angry about the right thing. And today, friends, we'll do in the church anything but pray. And I'm talking about the whole church body praying, the corporate body, not just one or two. Prayer in the early church, everybody was involved. But we announce a concert in the church today on a musical evening and we'll fill the building. Announce a prayer meeting and you'll get a handful. Why is that? Because we've lost confidence in God. And we've lost sight of the way that he makes himself known in the church. Tell me, friends, when we think of the progress of the church, do we this morning have an alternative if we want the church to grow? I was speaking recently to a church that was packed to the doors on Sunday morning. And in the pre-service prayer, there was no more than four people there. And I challenged the congregation. I said, what kind of church do you want your church to be? Your children are growing up in this house. Here they've been molded and shaped and fashioned for the future. Here they're going to get their roots deep down into God. And you can't even get along to pray in the pre-service prayer. What kind of future are you offering to your children? Then get to praying. And some people got upset. And I was trying to help them. Friends, it's time to be honest. Where are we going in our churches? 
We say, but Tony, times have changed. The world is changing and you have to change with it. Don't you know the world is changing? Yeah, I know it's getting more ungodly by the day. And the church that's meant to be salt is losing its savor through lack of prayer. The church that's meant to be light, its light is going out through lack of prayer. Secularism and humanism is sweeping across society. I read recently of one of the major polls that was conducted. The world is converting the church. You remember when Moses went up the mountain to receive the commandments? Down below in his absence the people got into riotous carryings on. They said Moses is dead. God isn't speaking anymore. Let's do our own thing. And they made a golden calf and began to worship it. And the church today in many places is worshipping at golden calves of their own ideas. We'll have concerts, pie suppers, social events while the church is dying. Seeker-friendly services, those who advocated those things years ago have since stopped doing it. All those things don't work and yet they keep on doing them. Where do we find any of that in the Bible? We'll do anything but pray. And yet the word of God says, if my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Friends, we have to be prepared to humble ourselves and admit that we need God in our churches. We shout and scream and holler as Christians and fuss about them taking prayer out of the schools. Nobody raises a voice about taking prayer out of the church. Why did Jesus say his house should be a house of prayer? And I want you to get the balance here in what I'm saying because I said it would be challenging. But I want you to see behind this challenge is a heart of love. And I want you to know that God is speaking to you this morning because he loves you. And he cares about your future. And he cares about your children. And he cares about where you're going. Jesus said my house shall be a house of prayer because he was jealous for his house. And he was jealous for his people. And Jesus cleansed the temple on those occasions because he loved the house of God. He loved the people of God, but not for what they were doing to it. You see, in all of this, he wants to bless us. He was trying to get us to see his heart for his house. He cares about us. He cares about the honor of his name. He identifies with the struggles, if we're honest, that we're facing. And prayer is our very means of survival. Like the deep sea diver and his pipeline. But many churches, the church in many places is like a a flickering candle that's about to be extinguished. Jesus said this about the church because of how he makes, God makes known his way for it. Through our praying, he makes known his way for us. What is the way forward, Tony, for long? What is the way for our future? Give us some answers. It's screaming at us from the word of God. Get back to prayer. (coughs) The blessings he has for us when we pray. (coughs) The strategies that he has for us. The successes that he has for us. He loves his friends. And I want you to hear this in this message this morning. He, This is why he's challenging us. He loves us and he wants to bless us. And we need a revival of prayer in our church. And it must start with us. Every major revival started in prayer. And you will usually find it started with one person. And then it grew and grew and grew. And thousands were swept into the kingdom. 
God says, if my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, not have parties and goodness knows what, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I challenge you to read the accounts of past revivals. If you've got anything of God at all, it will stir your soul. But the problem often is we're too proud. We act as though we don't need God. And our prayerlessness is declaring that. We say that we need God, but our actions say we don't. But all the time when we pray, God speaks to us and he wants to. He says, you pray and I'll hear and I'll answer. He'll give us the guidance and the direction that we need. Aren't you needing guidance and direction here this morning as a church? Come on, let's be honest. If you pray, he'll give you the answer. He'll give you the guidance. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the help in your weakness. He'll give you strategies that work because only God's strategies will work for the church and your church will begin to grow. God loves us and he wants to help us. Now, is this use of God's house that Jesus found in the temple here serious? Well, let's look at it in John chapter 2. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. And the sheep and the oxen had poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But he was concerned about his house. I don't think Jesus was taking the matter lightly here. Neither can we afford to. This subject, friends, is very important to God. And we do well to heed his challenge. And the Bible says on the heels of what Jesus did here, his disciples remembered it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Where is our zeal for prayer? Don't let's have a wrong reaction to God's challenge. After what Jesus did in the temple, listen what happened. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it. And sought that they might destroy Jesus, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. Notice the the reaction. We can either react or we can respond to the challenge. And there is a difference between the two. Those people were given a challenge here. Excuse me. They heard the challenge. They knew what Jesus was saying. They fully understood all the while. But would they respond either in their religious traditions? Would they respond in that way or would they respond to the truth? And the challenge is the same with us. We either respond to this challenge or turn away from it. What is the way that God makes known in the church? Unless we become a praying church, we will never make it. Preaching alone, and I'm doing that this morning, but alone it won't cut it. We have to repent of prayerlessness as a church or God will remove our candlestick. I use the word repent. It's interesting when Jesus began his ministry, he began preaching repent. John the Baptist, when he began his ministry, began preaching repent. All the apostles began preaching repent. Paul, after his conversion, began preaching repent. We must turn to God who loves us and listen once to help us. The next thing, thank you, Becky, the word of God. Prayer, the word of God. Paul's exhortation to young Timothy, he mentored Timothy, was this, preach the word. 
Now, Timothy, we're told, was timid and he was diffident. But Paul's advice was, you're not here to please people primarily. You're here to please God. And on this issue, friends, of the Word of God, it's not a question of what you or I think. It's not a question of what people think. What does the Bible say? It's not our opinions. What does the Bible say? And Paul speaks in Acts 20, 32, and he says, Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. He was speaking to the elders here of the Ephesian church. He'd been there for three years establishing them in the faith. And he's saying his farewell speech. And he says to Timothy, preach the word. And because Timothy heeded Paul's advice to preach the word, the church, that church became the greatest local church in Ephesus in the New Testament. Paul's advice was obviously good. And then the Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, friends, our faith, what we believe is built up by one thing alone, the word of God. And yet we don't give it enough place in our churches. And the reason why we have so little faith in prayer is because there's so little of the Word of God taught that is teaching that challenges us. It's not enough just to hear it. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But it's revelation of truth that we need. Today in our churches, we just don't get it. There are so many attempts being made to build church by all manner of things. And when we come to church, what we need to cope with what's out there is what's in this book, the Bible. Paul said, I come to you with only one agent, one, that can successfully build you up, the Word of God. And what we need today is not intellectual arguments, academic cleverness, gimmicks, PhDs, diplomas of theology. Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Listen, friends, I've been through Bible college. There wasn't too much emphasis on what Paul said here. You've got to be clever, they say. You've got to know this and know that and know the other. And there's an element of truth in that. But that's got nothing to do with how God brings revelation to us. He does that by the Holy Ghost. And when Paul said, preach the word, why didn't he mention other faith builders? Because there aren't any. It's only the anointed word of God that builds faith in our individual lives and in our churches. And yet often so little place and time is given to it. Telling it like it is, without compromise, without watering it down and pleasing people. Matthew said in chapter 7, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, it's a parable of the wise man that built his house upon the rock, and doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Hearing what? These sayings of mine, the words of God, and not only hearing it, but he that doeth them. It's not enough to hear. It's not enough to talk about prayer. It's not enough to talk about the Word of God and what we'll look at in a moment. We've got to do it. Just do it. And when you do that, he said, his house will stand. 
And yet so often in our churches we try to build the latest fad or trend or whatever we think will keep the house from falling. And then a few months down the road when those things haven't worked we look for another fad or another trend. Let's be honest friends, we give more time to watching TV movies or soap operas. Whilst in the church we allocate less and less time to the preaching of God's word. We run home and watch TV programs for hours. And when we do that, we are openly declaring our lack of hunger and confidence in the word of God. When we love God, we love the words that come from the Bible. Why? Because he wrote it. To quote the late Billy Graham, he said, when the Bible goes down in society, it's back to the jungle. And I tell you, friends, after 46 years, and I say it with a heavy heart, but with a heart of compassion, after 46 years in the ministry, the ignorance of God's word among some Christians is appalling. Our children can tell you more about Harry Potter than they can about the Bible. Whatever happened to preaching repentance and faith in Christ alone for salvation? What happened to challenging people about their sin and in the church when I say that? Those are reasons why the Holy Spirit was sent. We look into the Old Testament and we see a godly man named Ezra. And he had an uncompromising loyalty to and passionate love for God's word. And on this occasion where we pick up the story, there was a remnant that was returning from captivity. And they were rebuilding the temple of that day that had been destroyed. But there was only one thing at that hour that was missing. The restoration of the word of God. And Ezra led the people in recommitment to God's word in the temple. Oh, how we could do with leaders in churches today that would recommit to the prominence of God's word in our churches. Preaching the truth without the fear of man. In our parliament today at the back benches, they tend to be the place where few voices are heard in the house. And I fear that there is a relegating of presenting the word and its standards to the back benches of the church. God give us fearless leaders like Ezra and churches where God's word is held up as the highest standard, where we are challenged not only to hear it, but to live it. And we need to return to the Bible's prominence in our church services. You know, that's a primary agent for releasing the activity of the Holy Spirit in the church. Have you ever done a study of the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God? It's interesting to note, without the relationship of these two, you wouldn't even be here this morning if you're in Christ. What are you saying, Tony? By the Spirit and the Word working together, the universe and our world was created. And by the Spirit and the Word working together, you became a new creation in Christ. And you wouldn't be in this service this morning if you're in Christ, if the Spirit and the Word hadn't done a work in your heart. The Holy Spirit rides in the chariot of the Word. They're the only two agents for building the church. And yet how often we relegate them to the back benches. Hear me, friends. Without a radical return to the prominent place of the Word in our churches, we will die. And it's time to wake up to the need of the hour. Let's look at the book of Acts and ask ourselves, how do we compare with the early church? That's our model. That's our template. Not all the fancy things that are coming along. And oh my God, how many there are coming into the church now. The latest this, the latest that. When are we going to get back to the Bible? God's ways are made known in the church through the prominent preaching, teaching, living out in obedience of the word of God. And then thirdly, openness to the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus said to his disciples before the birth of the church, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he said in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Jesus knew that we need the Holy Spirit to carry out his task. The disciples already knew they couldn't carry out the task. They were behind bolted and locked doors in an upstairs room. They were afraid. Jesus knew how powerless they were without the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit came, everything sprang into life. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved. Soon after that, 4,000 were saved. And the church was growing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was given room to move. But then the church subsequently went into the dark ages and the Holy Spirit wasn't heard of. All kinds of things were introduced into the church, but it went into decline. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the only one who can build the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he does that his way. Now you know the person of Jesus returned to heaven and then he sent back down the Holy Spirit to continue his work. That was Jesus doing that in the person of the Holy Spirit. He said, without me you can do nothing. So he came back down in the person of the Holy Spirit to do what we can't do. And we need to give the Holy Spirit room to work. I read of a very well-known, worldwide-known minister who went to a large conference recently where there were thousands of people. And before the service, they were behind the platform and a man was doing the organizing and he said, now, to the preacher, he said, now listen, he said, the first 15 minutes we have a choir piece and then after that we have 10 minutes of notices and then after that we have an item of song and then after that we have something that we're promoting here in our own local church and we want to give time to that and then after that there'll be another choir piece and that'll take another 15 minutes and uh, Mr. Preacher, you'll have 22 minutes to preach the word of God. Now let's go. And the man went out into the service and with sanctimonious hands he lifted them up to heaven and he said, Oh, Holy Spirit, come. God, move among us right now. And the preacher said, How can he? You've just tied his hands. How can he, with an agenda like that, move and break in? Now, friends, I believe that God is a God of order and structure. I believe that with a passion. I'm not a fanatic, whether you believe that or not. But with regard to the Holy Spirit, in some instances, there have been abuse and fanaticism and people have been put off. But they've made the mistake of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And we mustn't be closed to the Holy Spirit because a few ill-informed people chose to be unbiblical and said we're not having anything to do with the Holy Spirit. The second coming became controversial teaching. You can use scriptures for one theory that you can for another And so people have stopped preaching the second coming. But the Bible is replete with the fact that Jesus is coming again. When did you last hear a sermon on the second coming? They threw out the baby with the bathwater. It's too controversial. But Jesus said, every man that hath this opening purifies himself, even as he is pure. Now the very fact that there is a false means that there's still a real. There's the genuine. And let's have structure and order, but be open to the Holy Spirit to break through as he chooses. On that occasion that I just referred to about the minister at the conference, 
How do you think the Holy Spirit felt? Just bear with me here. Jesus died and returned to heaven, having paid with his life in order to send down the Holy Spirit to help us build the church. But he was crowded out on that occasion. And in ignorance, we do that so often. How do you think the Holy Spirit felt? Listen, friends, the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a person. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. He can be resisted. And yet, we do it all the time. What we're doing is saying, you just stay there. We've got this thing cornered. And so the Holy Spirit waits in the wings. He doesn't force himself on us because he only comes where he's invited. And that's why he doesn't come. In the book of Revelation, Jesus was speaking and he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Often that is used as an evangelistic text, but it's Jesus here outside the church knocking, asking to come in. And Jesus, if you study the passage, is talking here to a lukewarm Laodicean church, the church incidentally of this generation. And the Holy Spirit won't force his way in. He's like a dove. And we say, well, we would never keep the Holy Spirit out. But we do that when we've got our meeting so tied up and overly pre-organized. We're afraid to let God move. You see, when the Holy Spirit moves, he'll never harm us. He edifies us. He builds us up. He's a spirit of truth. But yet we go on our way like Frank Sinatra and we say, I did it my way. In our meetings, how would it be if we stepped back and said, God, show us what you want to do. Show us what songs you want us to sing. Show us what message you want to preach. Show us when to start and when to stop. Give us your plan for the meeting. Or maybe pray, Lord, lead us by your Spirit. The Bible says, the wind, the Holy Spirit, bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. You can't put God in a box. You can't tell God what to do. He tells you what to do. We ask people to trust God with their lives. We can't even trust God for the meeting. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to the church. And unless he's given free reign, his ways will never be made known. Now I know this is a tremendous challenge. But we need to face some of these issues, friends. Can I just say something that might shock you? Roll the clock on 10 years, thinking of some of you lovely people now that are enjoying your older senior years like I am. 10 years from now, unless something drastic happens, you won't have a church. Am I right? The fourth thing, worship, and I'm going to close soon. The Bible teaches worship God in the sanctuary, the church. Psalm 134 verse 2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Worship is not confined to the sanctuary or just in the church. We are the church. And so worship is a lifestyle. Now if that is true, then our lifestyle will surely spill over into the sanctuary, namely the church. It isn't a once on a Sunday performance. It isn't a matter of course. Our spirit must interact with the Holy Spirit. That means God touching us and us touching God. And we are never closer to God than when we worship in spirit and in truth. In the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle of Moses, the place of worship was there and the presence of God. God makes himself known to us in the place of worship. But listen, there are levels. 
there are degrees of worship. Now, in different churches of different denominations, why they were ever formed, I don't know. That was man's doing. God never formed denominations. We call ourselves a Baptist or a Methodist or a Pentecostal. That was never in the Bible. God never ordained that. And so different churches have different modes and different forms of worship, and we respect them all. We really do. I'm not criticizing them. But listen, there is a level of worship that changes us forever. I was in a church in Seattle in 1976 in America, and there was about 250 people. And I saw something there that changed my life forever. 250 people face down in the carpet, weeping because of the presence of God. They weren't sad. They weren't over. They, they, they were just moved because God was in the place. You could cut the atmosphere with a knife. Next thing, they'll up on their knees with their hands in the air, saying, Jesus, I love you. Oh, God, you're so wonderful. Next thing, they were on their feet with their hands in the air, singing high praises to God, and I thought that the roof was going to come off. I stood at the back of that meeting with my then first wife, holding hands, tears coursing down my face, and I said, my God, we haven't even started. Not many churches experience that level. Now, that is not meant to be a criticism. But what it does tell us is that there is more. And that's what I'm trying to communicate here. We must never feel we've arrived when it comes to worship. How would you feel if you knew when you came to the service, you were going to meet with God in a life-changing way? Like Moses at the burning bush. Oh, not literally in the same way as he met it, but to be impacted by God. Where you leave the service with your hand on heart and you're able to say, I met with God in that service. And I was changed. The Lord invites us in our churches to a level of worship that changes us. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, he said, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such, such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus was inviting her to a level of worship that would change her life. And she needed it changing. And it did. And from the subject of worship, Jesus made known his ways for our entire future. And God's ways are made known in the sanctuary of the church through biblical worship. And then I close with this. Total dependence upon God. My text was Psalm 77 verse 13. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who so great a God as our God? And the rest of that psalm refers to how God led Israel through the wilderness. A type of how God leads us in the church today. And throughout that journeying, you know as well as I do, he was a God of wonders, a God of the miraculous, the opening of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water from a rock, shelter in the heat of the desert by a pillar of cloud by day, guidance for 38 years in a pillar of fire by night, clothing that lasted for 38 years, and his presence. And all those things testified to their utter dependence upon God. And the church must never lose its dependence on God. And I I urge that upon you this morning, folks. Don't lose your dependence on God. You're not the only church that needs God. Most churches today need God. Today there's a tide of secularism and humanism, I tell you, sweeping across the world, and it's invading the church. What is all that about? The church turning to the arm of flesh for its help instead of God. Since 2004, two major denominations in the USA have gone into decline. 
because they're failing to depend on God. Churches turning to all kinds of rescue operations to try to save the church and they're dying. It grieves God when he sees us leaning on self-effort and the arm of flesh. But is he not still the God of miracles and wonders? Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. He's saying, stop depending on anything at all other than God to build the church. And anything that we raise up in the place of total dependence on God, he wants us to tear it down. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And in our churches, whatever we need, we must cultivate complete dependence upon God. Paul said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so God made known his way in the church as I close. Through number one, prayer. We've got to return, folks, to prayer. There is no other way. Balance preaching, teaching, and living in obedience to the word of God. Number three, openness to the activity of the Holy Spirit. However we get there, we've got to call on God. You see, a lot of the things we need answers for, all we've got to do is get into prayer and call on God. He promises to answer. But do we believe it? Openness to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Worship that changes us. Where we're not the same when we go out as we were when we came in. We've met with God. Total dependence upon God for everything.